Turn the Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. First of all, I told you this morning I, I, I was going to bring this over here. If you can get this, see, these six things right, you'll know Brother Glenn is the best preacher in the world, okay? Number one, he tells us about Jesus. You can do that, can't you? Number two, he feeds me dinner at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Brian, you should got that. He has a gun to use on bad people. <laughs> he gave me duckies from his office. He read us the Bible. He's a nice person. I really am. I love him. Now, if you can get them six right, Brother Glenn be the best preacher in the world. Amen. If I could get... Five, six hundred here tonight just to commit to that, then I could know going home I was the best preacher in the world. But, you know, I just get blessed because I'll get up here and I don't know if somebody stuck something in here. Dear Brother Glenn, you're the best preacher ever. I love everything you preach about on Sunday morning. You so are amazing, okay? I sit right here. I mean, that's just great. I, and these kids leave me these notes. And I don't know where they come from. And uh, sometimes I, they put their name on them and sometimes not. And I'm thankful for every one of them. Second Kings chapter number six. That's why we don't ever want to lose track of our children here. Uh, we want to do everything we can to make our children's department the best it can be. And if it costs money, it costs money. We just spend it. And um, what better use? 120,000. God, God said, hey, there's 120,000. Don't know the right from the left. We better get invested in them. And so we better invest in our children. I think I see people fanning. And so would one of our ushers, our security workers, help us just a bit on this side over here, okay? All right, 2 Kings chapter 6. I promised you a miracle tonight, and here it is. Look, and the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. In other words, it had gotten too small. Let us go, we pray thee, to Jordan. Take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee. Go with thy servant, and he answered, "I will go." But don't that isn't that just nice when when uh, he says, "Do this," and they said, "Oh, I will go." Do this, oh, I will go. It's not like that in most Baptist churches. If you ask somebody to do something, well, I tell you, I can, but I'm I'm just I'm just burdened down with all this other stuff, and I got too much on my plate. But I guess I'll get it done. They just say. I'll go. So he went with them. Well, you see the testimony here? And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. We would say he was cutting down a tree, and the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, alas. No, he kind of got all upset. Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick, cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. I promised you a miracle. There it is. Therefore, said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. 
He not only did a miracle, but he brought it in where he could reach it. <laughs> Our God's a mighty God. Amen. And tonight, I want to talk to you about the miracle of the axe head. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, it's a blessing to have good folks who come back on Sunday night, love the word, love you, and uh, we, we love them tonight, and we just praise you for it. I pray here tonight that we might learn some things from this chapter that will bless us these few verses and help us tonight. We love you, Lord, and we ask you to help us because we realize more and more and more how useless and how little and how nothing we are without you. And so, God, tonight, just step up and preach. And Holy Ghost, you lead people down to the altar tonight. Somebody here needs Jesus. Save them. Somebody here needs to get back to Jesus. Do that tonight. Church in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now, I want to give you, I want to give you uh, the kind of, uh, the, the typology of this story. You remember the Old Testament is full of types, shadows, symbols, those kinds of things. It, it, you say, well, that's not important to me. I, I just kind of figure it out and go ahead. It's not that important. It will be real important to you when you get to the book of Revelation. When you learn what God is trying to teach us, even in the New Testament, it's all typified in the Old Testament. So here's what we have here tonight. Elisha typifies the Lord Jesus in verse number six. The sons of the prophets typify the Christian workers in verse number one. And the axe head speaks to us of his power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. For without him, we are totally ineffective. Would you agree with that? So, if you've ever known the power of God, and not just a form of it, but denied the Lord. But if you've ever really known the power of God, you know what I'm talking about when you lose your axe head. And so, let's bow our heads tonight and pray. And ask God to help us. Father, this is, this again, God, I just can't go on preaching unless I ask you one more time, one more time to fall fresh on this place in Jesus' name. Amen. This story has very few sources. When you start looking for sources for this story, you find just hit and miss commentaries or some skips it and just mentions it's had a miracle and moves on down. And if you go to a liberal commentary, you will they will tell you that this didn't actually happen, that they put the stick in and reached in there and got a hold of the axe head and pulled it out and, and they'll discredit this miracle. So, you know, you see some who just don't want to get close to it, even though they believe it. And then you find others who want to disintegrate it because they don't believe in miracles. I don't tell you tonight, I believe in miracles. And God put this incident in the Bible for a reason. And here's why I think he did it. He takes a young preacher who loses his axe head. I don't mean anything to you tonight, most of you, but that could happen a dozen times 
in primitive building projects. I mean, it could happen a lot of times. So it's not like he's taking something that just happened one time and doing a miracle with it. He throws this little simple illustration in here, and this is why, to show us that God is concerned by the little things that plague us in life. He cares. He cares. He cares about the normal, little, simple frustrations you face every day. He cares. No matter where you work, where you go to school, what you do, how your, how, what your income is, how your life. All of us have some little bitty things that nobody else would even think about or even pray for you for. But God cares about those little frustrations in our lives. And I think that's why I put that here. I'm going to give you four things tonight. Write them down. Number one, the building of a building. That's practical implications. That's in verse one and two. Secondly, the bidding of a blessing. That is spiritual application. That's in verse three and four. Number three, the burden of a backslider. That is gradual frustration and that's in verse number five. And then there is the beauty of his buoyancy that is personal restoration in verse six and seven. Now if y'all let me preach a while, I'll get you out early, all right? I will need some help. I'm gonna need some amens here and there because that just helps me preach faster, okay? All right, and my voice just goes out. We'll give an invitation, all right then. All right, the first thing I want you to notice is the building of a building. This is what I'm going to call practical implication. Evidently, there had been some growth in their Bible college. Their little Bible school was starting to grow there, and it had grown to the point to where they didn't have enough room for everybody. And, and so the, these prophets get together and they say, you know, we've got a need for a bigger building. And so uh, they take it to Elisha, who was quite popular among everybody that called on God and went to all the four that we know of, schools of the prophets, and taught them. And so he being the one who was so powerful in miracle working and such a great prophet. And by the way, I believe Jonah might have been the one to replace Elijah had he not messed up so bad. So why do you believe that? Because Jonah came along just about the time Elisha died. Who knows if God wouldn't have taken that prophet and used him had he not ruined his credentials by disobeying God. So they go to Elisha and they say, we need a school. Uh, we, he was a great teacher. Uh, because of that, their school grew. And it, it grew and grew. And so they say, we need some more room. Now listen to me tonight. Growth always requires building. Our cramping problems and growing disfaction will arise Unless you build when you get cramped. Or change when you get cramped. Or swap something when you get cramped. And so that's, that's, I tell folks, I'd much rather see folks hanging from the wall in here as to see empty spots everywhere. 
They say, well, when you get 80%, you know they say you're full. I know they say that, but when God brings revival, they'll be standing in the road to hear about Jesus Christ. I agree, though, with the fact to where there is growth, there needs to be building. Now, uh, these young men didn't send for government assistance. That's what we would have done today, right? Right off the bat. Well, they didn't do that. They didn't even go to the state convention for a bigger allotment. They didn't ask for no help. They didn't write mom and dad and say, here, I'm 25, send me some money. They didn't do that. They, they, didn't, they didn't lobby and they didn't protest in the streets saying, we need a bigger school. We need a bigger school. They didn't do that. That's what we do today. That's the way we do it. Even though we don't even know. That, listen, if, if, we, if they were protesting this, they would say, we need a bigger school. We need a bigger school. And you could set one down and interview them and say, now what school is that? Well, I don't know, but we need a bigger school. They don't have a clue what they're doing. Now, they even know what the Constitution looks like. Probably hadn't read a word. Wouldn't understand it if they read it because it's written in language that they never even learned and they got doctorate degrees. I ought not to cut off on that. I, I knew y'all would do that to me. But so, so these young men, they decide to go to the only place to where trees were plentiful. You see, in that day, there were a few places still where there were plentiful trees. So where would they go? Verse 4, they went to the Jordan Valley. Now, I want to give you three principles, or really four, but three that really will help you tonight. When we're talking about building and we're talking about growing, first of all, growth requires a building. Write that down. Growth requires a building. We've built five since we've been here. Are built on uh, as a building project, uh, maybe six, uh, five or six. Uh, Eugene can keep me straight on that. But we built those when a need arose or we saw it arising and we was able to get ahead of it. So growth requires building. Number two, building requires work. And number three, Work involves accidents. In other words, if you're going to grow, the results of church growth sometimes are casualties. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We don't want to lose anybody, but in a growing church, you will. Somebody get their feelings hurt. Somebody thought, well, I really thought I was going to fit in there, but I don't think they're my kind of people. And move on down the road, join another church. A few years there, join another church. And that's the way they'll do. Because when you grow, you, you, you just do. I mean, you know, bugs all come to the light. And you've got all those nuts out there, all those crazy bugs out there. And when the lights start shining bright, they go to it. And so growth will require a building. And let me tell you something else. I didn't even put this in here tonight. But the people who will pay for the building does not fill it up. It's only a small amount of the people who will pay for a building 
to try to reach a bunch of people who don't care. Folks ought to love the church who love them, but I didn't and you didn't until you got saved. Right? So that's why we want this church to have a good testimony. And it, we have taken Hartsville Pike, and you wouldn't have known it. You wouldn't have known it 25 years ago. It looks absolutely, completely, and totally different. The police, uh, the firemen, they're all grateful to us for that because we've cleaned this out and cleared that out and lit this up and lit that up. And, and it's been an amazing thing to just watch us grow through the years. But then you get stagnant. But in this building process... I want you to notice that everyone was to do his part. Every one of them, the Bible says, every one of them was to do it. Not some of them, but all of them. And most crowds of workers, you got shirkers. Right? But in this bunch of preachers, in this bunch of called prophets of God, there was no shirkers, all of them were workers. And so they work. If you're going to build a building, it, growth requires a building, building requires work, and work involves accidents. You just can't have a building project without accidents. Something's going to happen. Somebody will get hurt. Something will happen during that building. You don't mean for it to. You don't want it to. But you can ask any of, the, uh, any of our construction engineers here in our church or anywhere else, and they'll tell you when they start a working project, before they get through, somebody, somebody will need that liability that they carry. It's just that way. And church is no different because it'll involve an accident. You will build something somebody don't like. And you will say, well, it's too late. Oh, this has already been done. This is God's will. Well, that hurt my feelings. It really hurt me deep down. I don't know I can ever come back again. God have mercy on that silliness. That's ridiculous. And there, you, that, somebody asked me, other day, you know, why do you preach about other preachers? It's because that 90% of them today that I, I run into or I hear about from other churches, they walk on eggshells all the time just to keep from hurting somebody. You can't preach this book without hurting somebody. And Jesus, that's why Jesus said, be not easily offended. Uh, well, I want you to notice Nehemiah 4, 6 says, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together for the people had a mind to work. Yeah, yeah you see, you got to work if you're going to build a building. That means you got to get out here and work and witness to people. That means you got to get out here and work and give your testimony to people. That means you got to get out here and work, hand out flowers and get out here and get on your knees and work in agonizing prayer that God would send a revival. You got to work. So you can give God what he wants you to give. You got to work if you're going to grow. 
You Sunday school teachers, some of you just want to come in, sit, so I'm going to have a good class anyway. I'm not worried about all that crowd that's on the roll, and I never talk to them. You better get on the phone this week, and you better have them here Sunday. Make some contact. Go to their house. Look them in the eye. If they won't, open the door right with lipstick on the storm door. Jesus saves. It's going to take some work, folks, and we quit working. Man, we used to witness around here like our, like our britches was on fire. And we'd have 25 on Monday nights or Thursday nights. We've changed it back and forth sometimes, and they'd show up to visit. And now we might have two or three or four. We've tried to make it easier uh, by, by moving the winter months three months out so that you don't catch people in their pajamas and underwear when you go to visit them. Folks, we need to work in witnessing if we're going to get somebody. And by the way, you're not going to grow if you don't witness except a social church. You'll never grow a spiritual church unless you work. Winning souls, praying, giving, loving, Visiting, consoling, forgiving, trusting. Here it is right here in this text. Now, I personally feel like every kid ought to put himself through college. That's just my conviction. I know it's a different day we live in and college is very high, but we have the lottery for you. Yeah. Yeah, Brother Mike's been buying them wipe-offs. Didn't even know what they were. He thought they were postage stamps. <laughs> I seen him coming out the other day. But you'll see folks coming out, and they'll know you, and, or they'll be in line ahead of you, and they'll pay for their lottery tickets. with their, uh, they, They'll get some change back from the food stamp and buy lottery tickets. So I believe if you won't work, there's campus jobs to work. There's school jobs to work. There's outside jobs to work. And there's something called S-U-M-M-E-R, summer. And you can work in the summertime. But no, no we've got our little babies home for the summer. So we're going to travel and go wherever they want to. If you teach that to your kids and they teach that to their kids, imagine how bad it's going to be in a few years. So, I think every man here showed us what God's preachers ought to do. They ought to work. There's no such thing as a part-time preacher if he's been called of God. No such thing. He may have to be a bivocational pastor he may do another job. He have to maybe make tents like Paul, but he's full time for God. Now, for two years, I climbed poles after I'd surrendered to preach. And, of course, I'd been climbing years before that and not living the life I should live. But when God called me to preach, from the day he called me to preach, from the very day he called me to preach, I wanted to be full-time pastor. But I was in a country church, didn't believe in full-time pastors. And you could tell it by what I got paid. I didn't believe in it. And so I took over a half-cut and pay. I took myself out 
of my job to where I could make a living, was making decent money because I could do a few things other people couldn't do. And so I was making, it was hard work and it was cold work and sometimes it was hot work, but we was making money. And, and, but yet when God called me to preach, I, I just couldn't stand it uh, having to go out and work a job and go to the hospital with grease on my hands or, or, and go to the hospital with my hands all roughed up, you know, and, 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 and try to put my hands in the hand of a sweet old lady or, or a dear old saint in our church. And, and I said, I want to be like these guys who run around and wear a tie and they look like that. I want to be full time. I realize that don't make any difference. They just won't know you care. Just won't know you care. And so, if you're called to preach, you'll always want to do it every day of your life, not just some days. And work, work, by the way, never killed anybody. It's the accidents in the work that does it. All right. Now, um, let me just say something else about that. And I'm going to probably run out of time. But listen, I know some young men, they go to college and as soon as they get out of high school and they move on up and go to seminary, that's a good thing. I have no problem with that whatsoever. In fact, I encourage our young people to do that. That's what they should do. They should graduate high school and they should go to a Bible college, a conservative evangelistic Bible college. And then they should go to a conservative, evangelistic, non-Calvinistic seminary. And then they should pray and ask God to place them where they can be used for his glory. But I'll tell you this. I believe every summer, every mom and daddy say, you can come home, but you're going to work all summer. You know why? Because on Wednesday night, when you come here, and I come here on Wednesday night, I know what you've done during the day because I did. I've seen Wednesday nights when I'd I'd have, I'd be in my uh, uh, bucket truck and I'd be sitting there at lunch and I'd be still trying to work on something for Wednesday night and and, and I'd I'd get home from visiting at nine o'clock and I'd start and I'd I'd study till midnight every night just to be able to know what to preach and I didn't have a clue what I was going to preach from service to service. He said, what are you going to preach on this morning? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know. I'd been studying, but God just didn't let it roll out. But you see, I see you come in dragging. I see you come in in your work clothes. I see you trying to get your kids here at the very last minute because you're just barely making it because there was a, 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 some rubbernecker out here on the interstate that wouldn't let you get by. I know how that feels. But when a pastor has never dealt with any of that, he'll never understand that. So mom and dad, the best thing you can do for that little boy, that little girl of yours, when they come home for college and they've got two weeks or two, I mean two months or whatever they have, you find something or make them find something that they can do to help pay their way through college. So they'll understand the people that they'll pastor. There's probably some people sitting here tonight. You don't know where your next meal's coming from. You don't know how you're going to pay your light bill. You don't know how you're going to pay your water bill. You don't know how you're going to pay your cable bill. 
You don't know how you're going to pay your four cell phone bills. But I'm saying to you, it won't hurt you. Third, secondly, bidding of a blessing. That's a spiritual application. One of these young men wanted Elisha to go with them so that he could put his blessing and his approval and mainly his encouragement of his presence there while they worked. Now, Elisha was getting up in age and he couldn't physically do much, but he just stood there and prayed for him or sit there and prayed for him and encouraged them as they were. That's, what, that's how good they felt about this. When he was around, things was different. And so, evidently, Elisha was a good farmer, but he didn't know much about carpentry. Just so happened there was a few of these old boys that did. And so look what happened. They, they start building a building and they cut down a tree and they cut down another tree and they did that in the presence of their master, their master teacher. Folks, let me tell you something. When you do something good for God, you do it in the presence of your master. Don't ever do anything when he don't approve it, when he don't encourage it. And that's what's happening here. Elisha's over there encouraging. Here's an old boy. He gets a splinter, a big old splinter in his hand. And Elisha said, come here, son. We'll get that thing out. And he rips that big old splinter out. And his finger's bleeding. And he wraps it up for him. He says, now go back to work. He was there for encouragement. So he different. Because anything can happen and does usually happen so we need his presence. When a church starts growing, we've seen it happen right here. It'll hurt you. Someone to get at the altar and start speaking in tongues. Or somebody get in the balcony and try to dive out of the balcony. Or someone will come down here and fall out in the spirit. We've had all of that happen here. Or someone come in the back door, scare everybody half to death. And my bodyguards have to come up here and sit with me. I mean, you, you have, anything can happen when you're doing Jesus' work, so you need to do it in the presence of the master. We need our master's permission, number one, and number two, we need our master's presence. Are y'all with me? Thir- number three, the burden of a backslider. I'm calling this a gradual frustration, and we see that in verse number five. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried out. Master, it was borrowed. He went into a no faith fit. You ever had one of them? No faith fits. Don't you lie to me. You have, haven't you? I have them every now and then. I just have a plain old fit sometimes. I ain't no nothing to do with faith, y'all. He had a no faith fit. What am I going to do? I borrowed it. He said, why didn't he go to Lowe's and just get him another one? Because there was no Lowe's. Let me tell you something else there was not. There was no metal. So when you lost an accent, it was precious. It would be like losing a a piece of heavy equipment today. He lost the accent. And I know that you don't understand what we're talking about an accent because as he was cutting down the tree, it, the, the axe head, as he come back, flew off. You say, well, how can that happen? Well, if any of you have ever used a pick or, um, or, or um, 
a sledgehammer, uh, or any of those kinds of things. What we used to do, you, 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 the top would be shaped a certain way, and you'd slide the handle down real tight, and then you would take it and split it, just, right, just a little piece right down the middle, and drive a wedge in the top. But after a little while, that wedge would start to work out, and it would ease up, and what would happen? That handle would get loose, and before you know it, there it goes flying out into the Jordan River. One good thing, he wasn't aiming at nobody. He was safe, right? He met all the OSHA requirements. Well, don't you know something about this? It is a very gradual thing usually when we lose our access. What's our access represent? Holy Ghost, right? Power of God, right? All right? It, it, it's a very gradual thing when that seems to happen, although it happens suddenly. But we don't figure it out till sometime later. So this old single bit axe head flew off into the Jordan. And you see the burden of a backslider. He suddenly realizes how useless his work would be with just a handle. Uh, he, he, I, hey, why aren't you working? Well, I, I, good to work. He takes that axe, that old, that old uh, uh, axe handle, and, <clears throat> and, 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 and that tree don't move. That's what we do at church a whole lot of times. We're working, we're getting involved in everything we can, doing all we can, being everything we can, being everything we can. All we're doing is hitting a tree with a stick. He realized here how powerless he was. He lost his power while he was lost, working. He lost what wasn't his. It was only borrowed. When Jesus describes the Holy Ghost in Luke chapter 11, he describes it as borrowing food for your friend. So he lost that. Thirdly, he was aware that he lost it. In a few moments, he was aware that he lost it. And you know, that was the problem with Samson. Samson never became aware until it was too late they lost it. He was disturbed deeply that he lost it. And he, so he came to the master. Oh, what am I going to do? I borrowed this expensive axe to build us a bigger, bigger building that we might come and study in and work in and sleep in and eat in. And, all, uh, and look here, uh, 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 my master, my great teacher, Elisha, what am I going to do? That man will kill me. And plus I'm hurting for him. He lost something that he needs in his life. And so he was disturbed that he lost it. And so remember that it's easy to lose your axe head, but it's harder to admit it. Here's number four. I want you to notice the beauty of the buoyancy. This is personal restoration. I've got uh, seven minutes. Listen, here we go. Note that the Bible says that he said, 
to him, cut down a stick that meant a little bitty tree and cast it in thither, throw it in the river. And when he did, the iron swam, floated, come to the top. An old heavy, single bit axe head. No telling how heavy they were in that day to try to get the work done they had to do. And so here it comes, floating to the top. God is the only one that can make an axe head float, I believe. And since the axe head represents our power, the difference between us and the world is nothing but the Holy Ghost. And when we lose our axe head, we have nothing to reach the world. Sometimes we let it slip off and we can't find it. But notice that he threw in a stick. Why? Because how is people saved? By a tree. When Jesus, 1 Peter describes Jesus on the cross... And he says, by his stripes we are healed. He said, they nailed him to a tree. And so what he's doing is typifying the cross. He's throwing a very small stick in to represent the cross. But what happened after the cross, there was the resurrection. And so he threw in the stick, he paid the price, and then he Raised from the dead, and that axe head did float. So you saw a miracle tonight. You say, well, what, what's the big deal if a guy just loses his axe head? We'll just go on doing what we've been doing. No, you won't. Number one, it'll stop your labor. Because everybody stops, starts looking for it. Everybody's upset about it. And, and, and so not only that, that guy can't work anymore. That's why Luke 24, 49 talks about the Holy Spirit. says, tarry until you be endued with power. Amen. So it'll stop the work. You lose your axe head, it'll hurt our church. And I lose the axe head, it, loses, it hurts our church. So it stops the labor, but there was the admission of the lost. And this is exactly what is to happen to Christians today. As soon as you know you sin, right then and there, ask God to forgive you. That's what he does right here. I lost my axe head. I'm not filled with the Spirit, and I know it. What am I going to do? And so you know what he did? He went to the master. Whoa, you know that? He went to the master, and he threw in the stick. Here's what that meant for him. Crucifixion of his own self. He was willing to die to who he was so that man could have his axe head back. And when, G, when, when Elisha saw that kind of surrender, he saw something called the cross. And that's why he was able to be filled with the Spirit of God. Because when he applied what happened on the cross, he was restored with the power of the Holy Spirit. He appropriated it in verse 7 by faith. Here's what he did. He said, look what Jesus said. Take, uh, Elisha said, 
take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. It's the same thing if you're here tonight and you're not saved. God said, I've died for you on a cross. I rose again the third day. I paid for every sin you've ever committed, what you're committing now, and what you're going to commit in the future. I loved you that much, and I want to save you. And I am offering you the free gift of salvation. Don't cost you anything. You can be a pauper, but you can be a king if you'll come to Jesus Christ. And so tonight, if you don't know your sins has been forgiven and you don't know if you died, you'd go to heaven. If you'll come down here, I want our pastors down here tonight. If you'll walk down this aisle and say, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to be saved. I, I, I just don't want to go on like this. I want to be saved. Now listen to me. How many of you feel like you're just chopping the, in the flesh tonight? You're just working and working, but nothing's happening. You may need to come ask God for your power back. You know, how, you know how he's going to get it back? You're going to have to remember where you lost it. That old boy remembered where he lost it. Hey, do you remember where you lost it? Do you remember where you lost it? Do you remember where you lost it? Most of us know exactly where we lost it. We know when, we know where, we know why. Y'all listen to me? Where'd you lose yours? And instead of God doing a miracle in your life, every time God fills us with the Spirit of God, it's a miracle. He takes a handful of old dirty flesh and puts the power of God in us and shines a light. That's a miracle. Where'd you lose yours? You're going to have to admit it. Or you'll never see that accent again. If we want revival in this church, somebody's going to have to admit where they lost their axe head. Man, I know every time I lose mine. You preachers help me out. Don't y'all know? I know every time when, my little, when I've lost my axe head. So I also know every time when I have it. I know when God is present with me. And I know when I'm just preaching by myself. And it's scary to preach by yourself. And it's scary for God to ask us to cut down a tree with just a stick. But he didn't do that. He said, I'll give you an iron head and you'll have power to cut that tree down. You've got some things today that's immovable. Get filled with the Spirit of God, and God will help you get them out of the way.